This pair is usually in movies with marijuana subplots, but that's not a requirement. In honor of Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg, who's the other recent on-screen pair who should reunite soon? I'm Katie Rich, and Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum deserve another shot at something better than The Vow. It's me, David the Seven, and I haven't seen Crimson Peak yet, but Jessica Chastain and Tom Hiddleston, more movies, and maybe even just photographs with those two. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Joe Manganiello and the checkout girl from the gas station in Magic Mike. That's <laughs> how much, truly, for the Cheetos and water. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 83 for Tuesday, August 18th. Still the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown, 2015. This week we don't have any new iTunes reviews, but I can tell you that I met the elusive Rod Patches, father of Matt Patches, who is not on this week's episode. Makes me realize we should have invited Rod Patches to sub for him. Too late for that. Uh, But I talked to him about uh, iTunes reviews and how uh, the Jimmy Stewart impression was such a hit. So... If you want more of that, if you want to make Rod Patches happy, I mean, that's just, yeah, it's just one of the many, many reasons to leave us a review. Um, So do that and, uh, you know, continue your happy summer. was the D23 Expo, which is essentially a Comic-Con that Disney made up for itself and somehow manages to succeed because now Disney owns everything and can throw an entire convention for itself and have enough to keep people entertained. It was entertaining before, but okay, Katie. I mean, I'm glad I the never, masses find it entertaining I now. Never, there was a great article on The Verge today by Chris Plant. There was a great... Oh, my God. Oh my God! <laughs> that article is that article is so great. I tweeted a link to it uh, on Monday, and yeah, please find that it's really great. Um, anyway, so Disney owns everything, and at D twenty three, they announced the future of a lot of their projects. They uh, revealed a couple Star Wars details. They talked very minimal Marvel details, and then they had an entire panel devoted to animation projects, which really run the gamut from a gazillion Toy Story sequels to uh, a live action Jungle Book and a live action. Um, Beauty and the Beast, and like a lot of different ways for Disney to mine its own history. But then you get things like, uh, well, there's the Queen of Cotway, which is uh, the Lupita Nyong'o playing chess movie that I can't even really fit into a uh, into an actual theme. But then there's Moana, which stars The Rock. And there's a Pixar movie about Dia de los Muertos. And The Jungle Book has a very diverse international cast. And uh, Joanna Robinson, for my website, VanityFair.com, wrote an article about how Lupita Nyong'o is basically the face of the future of Disney because she kind of represents this international bent to its animated movies. And I thought that was kind of a nice, optimistic way of looking at the way that big studio movies, Disney not being the only one, are really targeted toward international audiences, like uh, Mission Impossible being a Chinese co-production, so on and so forth. That these movies, even though you're going to get Minions, which is made so that it can translate into Russian without, you know, any effort because they don't even speak English, um, that you might get these movies with diverse international cast and themes and, you know, a Polynesian movie because why wouldn't that translate as well as something like Inside Out Sutton, uh, San Francisco? Um, 
And I wonder if either of you guys buy this, if there's actually, if this is kind of a reason to be optimistic about the global future of blockbusters, or if this is just another cynical way of Disney trying to make a ton more money by uh, giving you international stuff, but not real, but just kind of making it a, uh, a token and not actually making the effort toward it. And I kind of want to hear from Dave first, because I feel like you're cynical about this stuff more than even David. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, it's it's always a good sign to see them attempting this, but ultimately it's going to be borne out economically. Uh, Disney's a you know global company, and they're just opening a new gigantic park in Hong Kong that got a Tron ride, which I'm a little jealous of. <laughs> I'm um, kind of jealous too. I want to ride a light cycle. Yeah, that, that, but I mean, we're getting Star Wars Land and everything because it's all part of this gigantic push. Where Disney is the one thing that makes Disney interesting to me is it started as like this one guy's vision, and he happened to have the means to pull it off because he was. Uh, big war booster during world war ii and cooperated with the government so they didn't like quash him and his weird sort of uh, you know theme park over in california uh, with his extra movie money and then it, ever since then it goes through cycles with every, every new group of like ceo and uh president that uh you know, has to reinvent itself and this one seems to be looking internationally and trying to figure out a way to make it work when it's like in the early 90s you know like tokyo disney didn't really do that well and uh disneyland paris you know didn't have good attendance for the first few years and so disney had problems expanding uh internationally now it seems like they're going to just by the nature of uh these gigantic films uh, are beginning to be co-productions but they're like Disney's not uh, stooping to that level yet they're hoping to just uh, get those dollars without having to give up any control over their intellectual property that's kind of uh, their game always isn't it like Disney yeah. co-productions don't really happen right um, and but I mean like Paramount is uh doing that with both um, uh, Mission Impossible and because it works so well with Transformers uh, like finding a way to do that in. I guess Iron Man 3 was Disney co-producing a little bit with China but oh, that's true. I, I seem to recall that that was more about catering like a different cut of the movie that ended up not being received so well by Chinese critics but either way, the movie ended up performing pretty well. And so really, if, if like these movies can perform well, then Disney will come back to being a more diverse uh, sort of company. And I, But I really think that... Wait, when you say come back, I mean, are you suggesting there's been a time when they were a more diverse company than they are now? I mean, if this succeeds, then they'll do more of Got this. It. Like, yeah. Disney's not super creative in the, uh, you know, being the cutting into the forefront of things yeah. they're more just they'll, they'll follow the money because they're that big of a company that they need to but i've been really encouraged uh, thus far by like it seems like they're reacting to like the fact that i could go on buzzfeed and find like 30 different articles about what disney princesses would look like as different ethnicities or not wearing <laughs> makeup or with different haircuts or in different time periods and i think like um especially in the time when they were uh, worried about having equal access to boys and girls they've really sort of figured out a way to ride the zeitgeist with those things and hopefully you know Lupita Nyong'o is the future of Disney but it's like uh, she's just a voice in Star Wars and she's just a voice in Jungle Book and uh, Star Wars doesn't necessarily have the best track record of uh, portraying ethnic groups in a, a good light 
So, like, you know, we still have to see when it comes out, when all these movies come out, if uh, the thing that Disney thinks makes them profitable is uh, people of color. Yeah, I think maybe the uh, rock Polynesian movie is maybe even more promising because he is kind of a central figure of that movie. And, you know, they haven't really, I mean, I guess Lilo and Stitch was Hawaiian a long time ago when they're bringing in Lin-Manuel Miranda to do some of the music. Like, there's an interesting, like, collection of voices going into that that make me feel like it's going to be more than just, like, hey, it's a lead of color in a really regular Disney movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the nice thing about this iteration of Disney is they seem to at least be attempting to give the lip service to, like, lead creatives, which is something that Pixar sort of made their bread and butter, where it's like, we sat these, you know, four geniuses in a room, and they came up with, like, ten years' worth of movies, like, on napkins, and we're still, yeah. you know, we're going to mine that for forever. Disney sort of now applying that through Marvel and through Star Wars with the Lucasfilm story groups, and at least in lip service, we haven't really seen a lot of product come out of these things yet. But that gives interesting possibilities. Where like if uh, Miranair could pull out an interesting movie of chess playing Lupita Nyong'o, maybe they'll be like, "Well, what else do you have for us?" Yeah. Well, they did that with uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez, who did the music for Frozen, and they're just like, "Okay, please mint whatever you want for us." And now they're. Uh they're working on wait are they working on the rocks movie or they're working on a different one oh they're working on one of those animated movies yes was oh, but probably any movie that uh, they want to work on yeah, I would basically guess. please just write us another let it go and you can do whatever you want uh, David are you at all optimistic about the future of Disney animation or is it just Cars 3 from here on out I mean Cars 3 is very dispiriting it's <laughs> how is nobody saying no to this obviously they're making a profit on those movies uh, and there's so many revenue streams the Cars films it's revolting but this is really one of those segments where I just hear seems maybe looks like it's all you're talking about fucking fairy dust I mean it's like it's not real put, put their money where their mouth is uh, let's see how Moana or Coco or any of the Lupita Nyong'o films turn out. I think it's fantastic that they're investing in someone like Lupita Nyong'o, who uh, seems great, and I think it's a very strong role model, and obviously, uh, and that's even before you get to the fact that they're putting a person of color uh, front and center, uh, or at least in the immediate future, maybe not so front and center, behind a lot of CG, but hopefully a little bit more uh, apparent in the future, but... Um, and Mira yeah. Nair, too. I mean, she hasn't made a movie in such a long time. I was yeah, really excited yeah, to hear about it. That's the problem. She has made movies. Wait, what, am I, what happened after Amelia? <laughs> uh, she made some terrible movie uh, last year or two years ago. I'm looking it up as well. Uh, <laughs> this is depressing. Hang on. Oh, The Reluctant Fundamentalist. Yeah. Wow. The Rural Juror. Yeah, she's been working. The Reluctant Fundamentalist. The Reluctant Fundamentalist was the film that I was thinking of. That uh, is a hilarious name for a I, movie. I just, I think that, unfortunately, um, this is just a different, more optimistic kind of hype that we buy into all the time. Uh, I, I think all of these... You know, all of these D23s, Comic-Cons are a cancer, and I don't really care about anything that people say in them until they make them real, and until there's a generation of kids who have these Lupita Nyong'o movies to look up to and realize that they can tell their own stories, that's when it will matter. Until then, it's all bullshit. Well, right, but, like, what's what's comparable to Disney in terms of companies that actually have the capability of doing that? Nothing. I mean, it's 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 exciting that Disney is... Is trying, or at least giving lip service to, to trying, uh, 
we'll see how it goes. I mean, these movies are a long way off. There's a lot of damage that can be done between now and then. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I might sound optimistic, but I feel how you sound, which is just no, like, it's, just, it's it's good, but like it's also kind of sad that this is the bare minimum. To shape the culture, which is why people want to invest in emotionally as being forces of change, because they can. They have that potential. They're one of the rare groups that do have that potential. However, uh, they are some of the last people that you should rely on for affecting change in a positive way. Um, I mean, culture repeats itself. That's why it's culture. Uh, it's has a lot of difficulty moving forward and progressing. Uh, and Disney is not necessarily, you know, the sort of the agent of progress that we might want them to be. Maybe that will change. I find it hard to believe. I do think that making Lupita Nyong'o their cheerleader, if they believe it as much as Joanna Robinson does, then mm. that will be a good thing for the world. I'm not sure if they do. That's, I mean, that's true. If, if if the world believed in as many things as well as Joanna Robinson did, right. we'd be in a better world. Uh, but, but again, I think that talking about D23 in any capacity, we're all a little bit deader than we were 10 minutes ago. Also, I challenge all of you to uh, talk to David about Colin Trevorrow on Twitter. Just just do it. Just see what happens. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, he's uh, David's having a great time with uh, blockbusters these days. Look for the bare necessities the simple bare necessities forget about your worries and your strife. for this week's mini segment I promised trivia but I went back to the thing that I always do for these games which is movie quotes because Patch is oh, no. really good at doing trivia uh, I picked out three quotes for each of you from movies that have come out this summer and there's a tiebreaker in case uh, oh, boy. you guys tie so uh, um, which one of you wants to go first I, I will. All right. Dave, your first quote. You just have to tell me the movie that it comes from. Here they come again, worming their way into the black matter of my brain. I tell myself they cannot touch me. They are long dead. I know. I know. Too bad. <sighs> Too bad. Oh, I was not mentally prepared to go first. Um, <laughs> you volunteered. I, I know. I know. I just thought I'd be nice about it. I okay. Take a stab. I'm going to take a stab at... This is movies th- this year, this Come summer? Out this summer. Worming into my... Uh, Black matter uh, of my brain. Black matter of my brain. Uh, no, I see, take, I want to say Hannibal. That's take, not a movie. No, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to time myself out. Okay. Fury Road. Fury Road. Oh, God. Come again. Oh, I just watched those. Uh, yeah, I just it's, watched those uh, deleted scenes. It's hard because there's Damn. so few. There's so few lines of dialogue in Mad Max that picking a non-obvious one's kind of hard. Yeah, like eh, or, or s- smiles. I, I live, I die, I live again. Yeah, 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 yeah no, um, good, okay. good pick, good pull, David. Mm-hmm. No, 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 Kevin. Let me do it. Let me do it. Kevin, maybe Minions. Minions. I didn't even see Minions. Me neither. Oh, good call on the names. All right, minions, that's, da- that's, that's basically your only hint. Also, the Minions don't speak either. They have that in common with Mad Max. All right, David one, Dave zero, Dave. I got one good one for you. Terminator Genesis. <laughs> now look, this is going to get weird. All right, it's pretty freaky, but it's safe. There's no reason to be scared. Ant Man. Yeah. Who watched that this weekend? Oh, I did. wow. Luck of the draw. All right, David, you ready? What? That was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. This is like why we have the parental guidance warning <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> you can't prove that was me on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Monster is a relative term. To a canary, a cat is a monster. We're just used to being the cat. 
It's not Godzilla, by yeah. the way. Uh, monster is a relative term. Say it again, monster. Monster is a, is a relative term. To a canary, a cat is a monster. We're just used to being the cat. Oh, it sounds like something dumb. Uh, <laughs> oh, summer. Big movies. It's not Terminator. I didn't see Pixels. They're talking about some sort of alien race. Mm. Mm, I gotta guess, I guess. Mm. Alright, I'm gonna time you out. Alright. You done? Yeah. Jurassic World, your favorite movie. Yeah. From your favorite did director. It no, did. I, <laughs> I believe that was a BD Wong line I just quoted. Yeah. Okay, it. Dave. Yeah. This one might be a trick question. I don't even know. Ooh, fun. I need a heat resistant workshop and a big ass sunroof. Ah, uh, it is. It's not in Fantastic Four. <laughs> it is on the IMDb quote list, though. Yeah, inaccurate IMDb. Yeah. Okay, David, if you get this one right, you tie it up. Ready? Wait. What, was that Dave's question? That was Dave's yeah. question, yeah. And now you get this one, and if you get this one right, you guys will be tied at 2-2. Two, two. Oh, I see. Okay, ready? Yeah. Okay, hey, I'm Frank. How you doing? Don't answer that. That's rhetorical. Okay, let me get you up to speed. This is a story about the future, and the future can be scary. Hmm. It's a story about the future. Hey, oh, I feel like I saw this. And the future can be scary. Future can be scary. It's not Terminator. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm Frank. How are you doing? Oh, oh, Frank. Frank! It's not the movie Frank. Either. No, no, but that, that, that got me there. All right, David. Yeah. You this, think, this one, when you tell me, I'm going to grow. Think of a summer movie you've seen and just say it. Think of a summer movie I've seen. Just a movie you've seen this summer. And just say it. I've forgotten all the big blockbusters because <laughs> they were so forgettable. <laughs> um, I've actually forgotten. I know you saw this one, too. The parade of summer blockbusters were. It's all such a blur. I'm trying to think of press screenings of what. It wasn't Ricky. <laughs> Is that your guess? Is Ricky <laughs> no, and the Flash your no, guess? No. Uh, it's, I'm trying to. Frank. Okay. Fuck, yeah. All right. Tomorrowland. Oh, my God. That was a movie? That was a movie. Yeah. I believe you, write oh, a, you wrote a large story about it, too. I did. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh. Story about the future and how the future can be scary. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a tiebreaker question anyway, and the first yeah. one to get it right, uh, I don't know, just uh, shout it out, and then you get my uh, affection. Sweet. Ready. I don't have friends. I got family. Oh, Fast and Furious 7. Yeah! Right. Damn. Damn. <laughs> All right, well, Dave is still the winner. Congratulations, <laughs> what, Dave. What you tied it to? No, you didn't get Tomorrowland right. Yeah, but I just got the tiebreaker. No, it doesn't count. <laughs> that was just for kicks. That's a point. Nope, Dave wins. Dave wins! Yeah, yeah, that's right. I win. I don't know about that. I'm going to take this to court. <laughs> Record show. Focus on the pain. 
because it's August and there's not really that much out there to see press screenings wise, I finally used this weekend to catch up with Clouds of Sills Maria, which Ooh. I know we have talked about on this podcast. I believe it is still a 2015 movie. Even, absolutely a even though David, I, I know had it on his uh, had it on no, his list somewhere from I, last. I saved it for this oh, did you really? I yes, would have sworn I it was tremendous patience. That really is tremendous <laughs> patience. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm as impressed with you as I was by Kristen Stewart's performance in wow. Clouds of Sills Maria. So take that with you. Uh, it's. A, I mean, we've discussed it on this podcast. We may discuss it again at the end of the year. Uh, so I don't want to go into it in too much detail, especially because I don't believe Dave has seen it. Right, Dave? No. Well, no, I haven't. We'll get there. So, uh, the premise of the movie has Julia Binoche as this actress who is, you know, Julia Binoche's age, who has been asked to take on a role in the play that made her famous, and this time she would be playing the older woman, and it's about a romance, but kind of like a dastardly romance between a young woman and an older woman within an office, and uh, the movie is kind of about her coping with that and what it means to have to play the older woman and whether or not this older woman character is weaker and why she still feels so connected to this uh, this younger character who she played who made her famous. And a lot of the power, I mean, there's a power in seeing Juliette Binoche as an actress who, you know, people remember from The English Patient. But the, in the text of the movie, the reason the director wants her to be in this play is because the audience will remember her, too. There's a kind of this metatextual power to her playing that part. And I've always been really intrigued by what we get from actors beyond the text of what's in the movies. Like, why Tom Cruise movies mean more than what is on screen because of what Tom Cruise means to us. And I think that's especially interesting in terms of age because there's, you know, supposed to be an agelessness in Hollywood and there's a lot of older actors we don't pay attention to. But it kind of, Clausus as Maria kind of made me want to make the argument that more actors should be playing with this. Like, if you have a career as long as Julia Binoche's or Harrison Ford was an example I brought up while we were planning this, I feel like more people should be playing with this. Actually, because Patches isn't here, we can talk about Harrison Ford in context of uh, Chewy, We're Home, which is, you know, probably the best trailer moment of the year so far, which comes about because of Harrison Ford's age. Um, I mean, I, I resent that opinion. No. That is like no. the most Even powerful that moment in XXL Oh, that's true. Trailer is just pure magic. Pure uh, is pure cinema. Agree. Okay, but so I understand, I understand the greater point you're making, and I will allow you to continue. Well, <laughs> and David, I feel like you might even have a more interesting opinion on this because I think foreign films can play with this a lot more because actors can have longer careers in foreign films and there, you know, Michael Haneke talks about age in a lot of his films and but and you, I said right before, I've never well, necessarily that actor, the foreign actors can have longer. I don't know. I was thinking careers. about like Max von Sydow acting forever well, or yeah. Julia Binoche or. Emmanuel Riva. <laughs> they have had. I hope she has a career as long as Max von Sydow. Okay, How about I that? that as well. um, but I also think of you as someone who doesn't think of actors as being an especially important part of film for the most part. But right before we started recording this, you kind of said that you do think actors are important. So either in the context of Clouds, this is Marie, Sills Maria, or the general point, like. What does it feel like for you when actors play with that kind of knowledge that you have of them beyond what's in the film itself? Well, I think actors are essential to the filmmaking process. I just don't always appreciate their enshrinement culturally in the discussion around film, um, which I think is why you see a lot of reflexive uh, talk about sort of auteurism and whatnot, because there's this idea of resisting the culture of celebrity and returning it to art. Uh, so that's typically where I run against actors. But I think that everything that works its way into a film is, is part of that as part of what you incorporate into the experience. And I, I always think it's a lot of fun when actors play with this. I think sometimes they play with it very explicitly, like they do in Clouds of Sils Maria, like they do in 
Um, a lot of the films that have come out of Iran in the last 30 years, particularly those by Abbas Kiristami and Jafar Panahi, um, where the directors sort of play their own actors. Um, I, so, I, I mean, I think, I think these things are always really interesting. It's always fun to watch a film that can toe the line and do both. I think that Clouds of Sils Maria doesn't require you to have an encyclopedic knowledge of Julia Pinochet's career. No, not at all. Um, right, yeah. It, just, you, like, it helps to know that she is a famous actress. Um, and it also and, helps to know that Kristen Stewart is a famous actress for very different reasons. Right, uh, right. Which is a lot more, li- I mean, if, that's actually a lot more on the surface because they sort of make fun of the Twilight breed of movies uh, really explicitly with this with X-Men like, I mean, it's more X-Men than Twilight in the movie, but you really get what they're going for with Chloe Grace Moretz's character in the movie within the movie. Um, but there are levels to it as well. Like, you don't need to know that Julia Pinoche had her breakthrough role in Rendezvous in a movie in 1985, I believe it was, that was written by Olivia Esaias, who directed The Clouds of Sils Maria. Uh, but they, there are sort of levels that it trickles down. Um, but I think that it's, it's fun when they do that, when they recognize that it's part of the process, when they don't shy away from that separation between who they are. Um, they realize that this is all one and the same, that their persona is... Uh, they can lose themselves in the character and the audiences are willing to go with them, but there is a baggage that they bring to the equation and um, it's as right to be used as any other part of their tool belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it's a lot of fun when, when actors do that and are so smart about it in a way that allows them to leverage their celebrity uh, in ways and, and allow them to reach places and, and have a head start in ways that they might not without that, um, without that background. Uh, and seeing Julia Pinoche does that, I mean, you can feel, that you're, there's a reward to it. I mean, you, and you are familiar with Julia Pinoche's career path, and um, I think when, you, it's fun to sort of let your mind wander with, where the line is, because that's so much about what the, the movie focuses on, is, is extrapolating uh, what about her character Maria Enders applies to Julia Pinoche, the person as well, um, and watching the line blur between Julia Pinoche and Maria Enders, it, it sort of textually reinforces, or super textually reinforces what's happening in the movie and adds another layer to it. Uh, it's all very knowing, of course. They're very self-aware, and it's, it's really clever. I don't, I don't know if... Uh, it's something like Tom Cruise, which is so much more about branding. Um, but you don't think that branding is really just another version of the same thing? It is. And, and uh, you know, Tom Cruise is very aware, but I don't know if they... It's used as more of a shorthand. I don't know if they play with it quite as much. They don't reach quite as deep with it. No, I don't um, think most Hollywood... I don't think really any Hollywood films play with it to that degree, unless you're getting, like, A Star is Born or something like that. This is something Dave could appreciate, which is that I think a lot of times you see this in Hollywood where they play with the collective knowledge of franchise mythology. So there's a lot, especially recently, a lot of um, understanding of, okay, we've all got along for this ride, we've hyped you up for Fast and Furious 5, 6, and 7, and you're all on board with mythology, and we can wink at the camera a lot more than we could previously, and that is where you see the uh, that, that fact, and less so than playing on like who Vin Diesel is as a person, uh, it plays on who he is in the collective unconscious, more so, it's even further divorced from being a real human being. Hmm. Dave, do you agree I guess with that? For, uh, yeah, I guess for me, it's a little more. I mean, it, it runs a spectrum from like winking in like a Saturday Night Live ish sort of way. Like, I guess there's a Joe Dirt too, but like, why? <laughs> like, that sort of thing is, is horrible. Wait, who's, but, whose persona is Joe Dirt 2 playing off of? 
David oh, Swayze. I mean, I'm, uh, supposedly, because from what I could tell from the trailer, it's just about you're old. Why are you still doing this? And I'm like, oh. why, is that what we're just saying to David Spade now? Is he trying to say that? humorously to some, but I don't want to venture into Joe Dirt 2 on the off chance that it has something good to say about it. What interests me more is when it's like when the actor finds it like stumbles it's it would be hard to make i think is it is hard to make a conscious decision as an actor walking into one of these roles because usually like it's something that you want them to discover in the part like when you hear um you know, Harrison Ford wants to do another Indiana Jones movie. You want to believe that because you want to picture Harrison Ford coming, like, getting really excited about portraying something and then bringing that to the screen in a way that, you know, you know, you feel like it's actually coming from Harrison Ford instead of coming from, like, a room full of people, hmm. uh, you know, sent to manufacture uh, or sent to echo what your nostalgia back at you. So you so, but, you, so you're but saying that there's like there's a humanity that we want within even though we think that these franchises are just built off of franchise recognition and not the people in them. Right. Like it the, it sounds like Clouds of Sils Maria is, you know, like if you don't have to know who Julia Pinoche is then you're fine. But like the Chewie were home if somebody for some reason hasn't seen the first Star Wars just plays as plot development. Hmm. So it's like I want to see if this version of Han Solo and we eventually see it is commenting on the fact that you know, Han Solo is just as much forced into a situation he didn't want to be in as Harrison Ford was, and now suddenly Han Solo's like a general and uh, in like a resistance he never counted on, and Harrison Ford's like the head of this gigantic multi-billion-dollar franchise that he never counted on and never enjoyed. Oh, interesting! So they would make his reluctance part of the text of the movie. If they can do that, I'm interested in that because I don't. I don't know if I want to see that. I don't. I don't understand how it would matter if it reflects in the character. I mean, once he's showing up and accepting the paycheck, um, you know, his his reluctance. I, I don't know. It's 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 it doesn't really matter. Well, I mean, I don't think it's going to. I wish it would, but I don't think it's actually going to because it's, he seems like really gung ho about doing the Tom Cruise thing and talking about how much fun he had making the movie and how much respect he has for the character. But, like, that's the sort of thing that you hope for. I'm trying to think of another movie that comes to mind. The thing that always comes to my mind when I think of this, especially as it applies to aging, is Johnny Cash deciding to cover Hurt and then making that video that's like, I look like shit and I'm going to die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, just, like, that's the sort of thing that you want, where it's, like, she made a choice, and then he allowed himself to, you know, have a dialogue with how he was perceived in an honest way. Like That's, that's a the, great that, example. I, I that's what you're yeah. reaching for. You're never getting that in Hollywood, but that's such a... That, yeah, that was totally fascinating. such a more meaningful example than, theoretically, Harrison Ford playing a reluctant character in Star Wars in a way that sort of... Uh, is meant to suggest his reluctance in participating with this monolithic franchise because uh, I think that the the nature of the character he plays I don't know I just I don't see that being relevant to me in my experience of appreciating the movie. Right. Well, I mean, you want him to be the scoundrel or like the same way Indiana Jones feels weird when he's you know a bit more uh, I don't know he has to be protective of people instead of just like wandering around giving haymakers to nazis it's there's there feels 
something off in an aged performance where they're not acknowledging it in some way, I guess. Hmm. Well, I was thinking about a, a less successful version of this, which is Funny People, which is not only really mm-hmm. contingent on Adam Sandler star persona being evident watching the movie but also the fact that he's gotten older that he's not able to do the same things he was able to do when he was younger and you know we all know what happened next which is that all the things he made fun of in the movie he went on to do um, but that movie does a, I mean, does a good job of playing off of that even though I don't think the movie is that successful well you like funny people way more than I do I love funny people but I also think that um, even those who don't can appreciate that it is and I think what part of what is made Adam Sandler's choices following Funny People so cynical and alarming is that he so candidly confronts his own image in in Funny People. I mean, it really feels like an honest um, reckoning with who he is and the choices that he's made. And he reaches, you know, again, you, you you can only conflate his character in Funny People with who he is so far, but the similarities are so uncanny. Um, and, it, and all of Judd Apatow's cinema is so knowingly self-reflective, so knowingly uh, tuned into the actual celebrity culture in the world of Hollywood today that um, it, it does feel like he looked into the abyss during Funny People and then decided to jump into it headfirst immediately afterwards. And then made the cobbler. Yeah. Well, is it is it, mm, is it honesty or is it the dialogue that we want to see them, like, have with their, their reputation? Because, like, I was listening to a This American Life episode about the O.J. Simpson reality oh, yeah. show that I guess existed. And it's like, that is, we want to see him have a conversation with our perception of him. We don't want to see him have a conversation with himself. Yeah. Well, and you, I think a lot of times you can't really trust actors to have that conversation with themselves or, or famous people at all, which is, I think, that O.J. Simpson. And yeah, this, this American Life about the O.J. Simpson prank show from 2006 is super fascinating and worth a listen. Um, but O.J. Simpson couldn't do that. So that's why when this works really well, you get a director, you get some kind of outside force being like, I have written you this role that is with this part of yourself you should play it and that actor is self-aware enough to take it but probably wouldn't be self-aware enough to write it themselves I mean I don't think I would be self-aware enough to play a part based on me either I mean that's where I started where it's like I'm not sure this is ever a conscious decision when it works out correctly I think it's like something weird that's discovered because how do you talk you know I, I don't know I, I keep thinking about how people tried to get Marlon Brando to do this, but he was, like, really resistant to it, like, mm-hmm. later in life, where he'd be like, nope, I'm just showing up and accepting the paycheck because you made the mistake of casting Marlon Brando. Well, I mean, didn't Apocalypse Now kind of turn out that way unintentionally, like, as a metaphor for him being, like, this lost soul kind of off the rails in the jungle? Yeah, but then it's like the story became about him. I'm not sure that his performance is him reckoning with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's him. I don't think he's reflecting on it, but I think it, it has come to stand in for some part of his uh, myth since then. Yeah, I haven't seen Listen to Me, Marlon. This is a great opportunity to pitch it to Oh, you. that's true. I also oh, yeah. see Listen to Me, Marlon. Or that uh, documentary I was talking about a few weeks ago, Lost Souls, about the making of Island, Dr. Moreau, yeah. where Marlon Brando shows up and is just like, take he, he gets rid of a whole character and makes like the smallest man in the world the other character, and he comes up with the whole piano playing on the piano scene, just like, and, and just basically to screw with everybody. But it's like they wanted, you know, Marlon Brando, the actor, to show up. But for like the last few decades of his life, he just decided not to like have that conversation with us. Or if he did, it was weird and I missed it. 
do you wish you could get to the phase of your life where you're like, nope, you made the mistake of hiring Dave Gonzalez. This is what you get. I mean, I don't know. Like, how much do uh, we all, you know, how much is... I want these performances in, you know, these aged actors to come back and reckon with themselves because it's enjoyable when it happens, right? But how much do they owe that to us? Probably not. No. It's probably it's just easier for them because it's not like we're making great, you know, roles for older people in the first place. Yeah, I mean, Clint Eastwood kind of comes back and does it once in a while and, I mean, did it with Unforgiven 20 years ago and, you know, repeated to some degree ever since. Um, but I think um, that's why we don't want Gene Hackman to actually come out of retirement. You know, let Gene Hackman be who he was. Don't, like, force him to come back and reckon with it unless there's a really good reason for it. Royal yeah. Tenenbaum was that. Or, yeah, or just let, yeah, let the powers that be sort of negotiate it. I don't think they, like, they owe the audience any sort of, uh, like, if you're past a certain age, then you better have one movie where you reckon with yourself. No, but I do no, think I that act, the director's wanting to play with it and bringing actors back and especially playing with that sense of having watched someone grow up is really interesting and really valuable. So when it does work, as it does in Clouds of Sils Maria or, like, Jodie Foster's entire career, I mean, there's a lot of different ways this can play out that it can, um, it can be really fascinating. The longevity of film and film careers and... The way that time works kind of within a movie theater and then in our lives. They can play off each other in such fascinating ways that I want more people to do it. Yeah, and hopefully we don't have to rely on, you know, goddamn franchising. Because I don't think that's going to produce a lot of uh, good examples of any of this working. Because that's no. not like a... It's, a, it's like a forced reckoning, but... It's uh, in a in a kind type of movie that it may also makes endings impossible, and you want this to feel like I don't know a, a grand honest statement on who they were and where they're going. Unless we ultimately, some, unless we somehow get some uh, kind of Harry Potter, you know, late in life sequel in thirty years that uh, shatters all of us when we see what happens to people in middle age. Oh, it seems man. totally possible, doesn't it? Uh, this is literally the first time I've thought of this, but it totally yeah. seems possible now that you bring it up. I mean, I'm sure that if there are enough uh, fantastic beasts and where to find the movies, as a, uh, I have no doubt there will be that Harry Potter will show up maybe in the last one. Or they'll jump ahead and do a sequel series. The Star Wars model, if you will. But like that's not necessarily... I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we want that. I guess Fuller well, House is our like chance a, to reckon with all of this soon. It, it could be like a, uh, a George Lucas situation with J.K. Rowling, where she's like, "Listen, I have enough money. <laughs> uh, I, I'm safe in my legacy. I want to wash my hands of this." Yeah. Well, that's like a creative doing it. In which case, I'm totally interested in that. Like every time Wes Craven comes back to make a movie, that's basically like talking about how he doesn't really like what horror is, be it like New Nightmare or Scream 4. It's just, it's hilarious to me. Like, anytime, like, if you're behind the camera, reckoning with your own persona, I think, is a really interesting creative exercise. Mm -hmm. But, like, actors, it's different. They kind of have to be coaxed into it or stumble upon it. Because if the project's based around the idea that they're doing it, I think it's a, it's a, not a strong foundation for a story, necessarily. Or limits what stories can be told effectively. Well, if you're interested in watching a star play with their persona and time and Kristen Stewart be great, Clouds of Souls Maria is on. I rented it on my cable's on-demand box, so you can watch it too. And um, it brings up a lot of these interesting questions. And no one says, Chewy, we're home. So it really is a win-win. Uh, 
We're gonna Cash have to, is going to listen to this episode. I know. We're going to have to warn him. Poor thing. I think he probably already knows about Chewy We're Home. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We will not be back with the review episode on Friday because it is the late August and times are tough and no one was willing to see Hitman Agent 47. Although, if any of you see it, just let us know what you think because that's what we're all we're going to have to go on. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. Oh, I guess I am I first? Yeah. Yeah, we lost batches. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor of Time at New York and the editor at large of Little White Lies magazine. Uh, special plug this week that's starting on Wednesday nights at the White Hotel in Brooklyn. If you're in the area, Little White Lies is partnered with some other fun people to host a noir series. I'm introducing on Wednesday night, which uh, will be tomorrow when this goes live. I think it's already sold out, but there are other screenings in the series coming up. There's M uh, and maybe Pick Up on South Street and a bunch of other fun movies that uh, they're going to have Nice discussions after the entirety of True Detective season two, right? Of course. So yes, do that, and also find us all together on Fighting in the War Room on uh, Facebook. Facebook. There's a social media site that uh, Mark Zuckerberg invented. There was a movie about it. That was called the Facebook. The Facebook. It was originally. I wonder if that still goes there. It probably has to. You can also find us at fightinginthewarroom.com. That's where you could subscribe to this podcast and other podcasts that me, Dave Gonzalez, does, including uh, one about comic books and uh, one about Game of Thrones. Um, you could find the rest of my work at geek.com, forbes.com, and latino-review.com, and find me on Twitter at DA7E. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at vanityfair.com. With Joanna Robinson, one of the people from some of those other great Dave podcasts. See, we're all a happy family. All the people who think that uh, Joanna has to fight to the death for podcast affection just doesn't understand how happy we all are together. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Twitter is also where we all are, talking about this week's lightning round question and lots of other stuff. Dave, what was this week's lightning round question? In honor of Kristen Stewart and Jesse Eisenberg, who are together in American Ultra, by the way, which we didn't mention until now, who was the other recent on-screen pair who should reunite soon? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the year, and you could have it all. My empire of dirt, I will let you down, I will make you hurt if I could start.